Today on Blue 58, after months of preparing for this week, we're finally here. The draft is mere days away, hours even. So what do the Packers actually do? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for the last time before the draft. The next time we speak with each other, or I speak and you listen, maybe you talk back, I don't really know. Uh, But the next time we are together, the Packers will have made at least one selection in the first round of the 2019 NFL Draft. And I am glad that we are here. It has been a long offseason, an eventful one to be sure, but it's been a long road leading up to this point. And it's time. We've got to get to this actual draft because we've been talking about hypotheticals for weeks now, even After the combine, after you get some actual data to talk about, everything is so hypothetical. And this year, more than most, I feel like I have no idea what's going on. I started doing Packers-related writing in 2012. So this is now the seventh or eighth time that I've gone through the NFL draft as a person who writes and talks and does this sort of stuff about it. And I think this is the draft in which I have the least idea what's going on. There are just so many variables that are going to affect what the Packers do this week. They've got 11 teams in front of them at 12. They've got a draft that's pretty full at some positions where they have needs. They've got another pick at 30. And I don't think anybody really has a good read on how this class is going to line up with the sort of players that the Packers are going to be interested in. If things get really weird, they could have the pick of the litter at edge rusher at 12. They could have four or five guys off the board at that group already. At 30, it's anybody's guess. They could go almost any direction. The fact that we're even talking about quarterback being an option tells you exactly how wide open this draft is. So for this last episode, before we actually get to the draft itself, before we find out what the Packers actually do, I figured we'd take a little bit of time to set up the draft philosophically, talk about a little of the things that we have talked about already, and then lay out four or five things we could see the Packers doing. Sound good? Good. Let's start with this. What do we know about the draft, generally speaking? I think, for me personally, there are three big rules you should look at, three big guidelines when you think about how the draft is going to play out. First, big, talented people are the rarest asset, and almost nobody talks about them in the way that I think they deserve. If we're trying to find the best professional athlete, I think we should look for the one that is truly exceptional. And I think the truly exceptional big people are more impactful than athletes at any other position in football. Big people for me fall into three groups, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and edge players. So really, you've got your front seven minus inside linebackers and offensive linemen. That, to me, is where you start building your football team, assuming that you've got a quarterback. And even then, it might be more up for debate than people like to think. If you can get a solid offensive line and a front seven that can get after the opposing quarterback, you're pretty much almost there. You can fill in pretty much everything else on your defense and on your offense and be in pretty good shape. It's the big people that you got to find. And they're the hardest to find because there just aren't as many good ones as we might like to believe. There are a lot fewer six foot five, three hundred and ten pound 
athletes that can actually play at an elite level than there are guys that can run a 4-4-40. You can figure out how to stash those 4-4 guys on your offense or on your defense in a way that they aren't going to screw things up for you. But those big people can make or break your football team, and it's hard to find the really good ones. Secondly, quarterbacks are going to cause chaos in the draft. This is true every single year, but it also needs to be said every single year. And quarterbacks can cause chaos in multiple ways. First, a quarterback rich class pushes everything else back since we get a bunch of quarterbacks taken early. 2018, last year's draft is a perfect example of this. We had four quarterbacks go in the first 10. And that really helped the Packers out a lot because they could trade back from 14, really let the chips fall where they may, and then trade back up to get a player that they really liked in Jair Alexander. I have a hard time believing they have that same opportunity this year because a quarterback weak class can screw with things in other ways. First, you can have guys get overdrafted. We talked about Blaine Gabbard a little bit in our quarterback episode, and the effect is a little bit similar to a quarterback rich class. Uh, You have people getting up near the top of the draft that maybe necessarily shouldn't, and people just end up taking quarterbacks because taking a quarterback is a thing that you do when you're bad. But teams staying away from quarterbacks result in other positions going higher than they normally would or perhaps in greater numbers. And this is another way that quarterbacks can cause chaos. In 2015, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota went numbers one and two in the draft, but then no other quarterbacks were taken until the third round. In 2014, Blake Bortles was the only quarterback in the top 20. And in 2013, E.J. Manuel was the only quarterback in the first round. Just imagine that happening. Just one quarterback going in the first round. Those Each of those scenarios presents kind of a ripple effect because teams aren't focusing on quarterback at all. And it makes it a lot more difficult if you're a team that already has a quarterback to have opportunities at the sort of players you'd like to have. I think the first kind of chaos is good for the Packers. More quarterbacks going early is better. The second could ruin their first round. And how the quarterbacks shake out is going to affect how the Packers pick at 12 and at 30. What if Kyler Murray doesn't go first overall? That pushes everybody else down. It probably pushes Dwayne Haskins down. It certainly pushes Drew Locke down. And that would affect pick number 12, to be sure, and possibly pick number 32. Pick number 30 as well, not pick number 32, although it would also affect number 32. I think you know what I mean. Quarterback is going to have a big effect on what the Packers do this year, and it affects everyone in the draft. Third, it's worth remembering that best player available barely means anything. Supposedly, picking the best player available means that a team selected who they believed was the best player regardless of position. But every year, 32 teams come out and insist that they got the top guy on their board, except for Bill Belichick, who won't say anything. Clearly, we are dealing with a bunch of liars, and everyone knows that's true, and a bunch of people who have different definitions of what the best player available means. So just remember, it's the best player available for them. Not everyone agrees on this. And so banking on your team taking the best player available really doesn't matter that much. You should always preface that or add the caveat that that it is the best player available in their opinion, not necessarily the best player. So what do we know about this year's 2019 draft class or the 2019 draft class? 
Let's take a quick breeze through some of the big position groups. First, I think this is a year that is strong at edge rusher. There are probably half a dozen various edge types that will go in the first round at least, maybe more than that. You've got the more outside linebacker types, your more 4-3 defensive end types. There's going to be a bunch of them, and they're going to go pretty fast and furious. This is also a relatively strong year for offensive line. This is a good year to be needing tackles and guards or tackles who can play guard. The Packers are arguably in need of both of those things, or all three if you include tackles who can play guard or guards who can play tackle or whatever, that third category. This also seems to be a year that is deep at wide receiver, but not necessarily a lot of super elite guys. Maybe no receivers where you say, yep, I feel good about taking him super early, like top 20, top 15. But a lot of receivers who could go in that like 25 to 50 range, and you'd be pretty happy with them, even later than that, perhaps. And finally, defensive backs are very similar. Maybe not so quite, quite so deep a class as at wide receiver, but you can probably get it done with a bunch of different guys in this draft class. So a pretty good class overall for what the Packers seem to need in the draft this year. So what, then, should the Packers do? Five things, I think. First and foremost, go big early. I talked about my love and preference for big people in the draft, and I think looking at those groups of big players, they should go edge rusher, offensive line, and defensive line in that order at 12 or at 30. To me, this means you pick the guy you like best at any of those positions at 12, and then the guy you like best at one of those two remaining positions at 30. So in an ideal world for me, they probably take their favorite edge at 12, assuming that there's still a good selection available there, and then probably the best offensive lineman they can get at 30. Again, assuming things break pretty well for them. My preferences at edge would be Montez Sweat, Brian Burns, and Clellan Farrell. Those are the three that I like most. On the defensive line, I like Quinnen Williams, who's not going to be available at 12, but I kind of got to say that I like him anyway, and Ed Oliver. And whether or not he's available at 12 is, again, anybody's guess. And then on the offensive line, I like Chris Lindstrom at 30, and then one of the higher-end tackles if they're bound and determined to take an offensive lineman at 12. I don't think I'd take an interior offensive lineman at 12, but a tackle seems like it'd be a good idea. Secondly, I think the Packers should try to find a safety somewhere in this draft. I'm not exactly sure where, probably not the first round, but you never know. I think in addition to injecting more talent in the front seven, on the defensive line, and on the offensive line in terms of you know size and athleticism, safety is the Packers' most apparent need. And they should probably, if they're going to pick a round, try to get one in the second or third. Malik Hooger seems like a great option in that range. If they've got to get one in the first round, I do like Nasir Adderley, but I wonder if we like him less in Green Bay, if his name is something like Nasir Williams or Nasir Smith or Nasir Jones, and maybe if he was like the nephew of, like I don't know, Tyrone Williams or something like that. The Packers need a safety, though, and they need a guy who has a specific kind of skills, that deep safety center fielder, ball-hawking type. They haven't had one of those in a long time. Even Haha Clinton Dix at his best was probably not quite there. Third, I think the Packers need to take the best non-first or second round blocking tight end that meets their athletic thresholds. I used to work for a scholarly publisher, and something I noticed was that researchers 
were able to publish the same piece of work again and again as they learned about it, about their subject, and added more information to their research. It wasn't that they were changing their take. It was just kind of growing over time. And I wish that was the same with sports takes because I feel like I've changed my tune a lot on tight end over the past year, even the past couple months as we've looked at this draft class. From what I've learned over that time, because of what I've learned over that time, tight end has gone way down my wish list. I'm not sure you really need that physically dominant tight end, that Noah Fant, that TJ Hawkinson, whatever, the high-end receiving tight end in Matt LaFleur's offense. I don't think you need that kind of guy to get the job done. And if that's true, I don't think you have to spend, and I don't think you should spend to get a premium tight end. Find somebody instead in the third or fourth round that's a reasonably good blocker, a reasonably good athlete, and then scheme them open and prosper from there. The guys that succeed in Kyle Shanahan's offense, which is going to be more or less what uh, Matt LaFleur runs, are not necessarily the big stud types like Jimmy Graham in his prime or the guys we talked about. They're guys that just do their job and get open and don't screw it up when they do. That is more like what I'd like to see the Packers go and get this year in the draft. At running back, as we move on to number four here, I would like the Packers to not really sweat it at all. We've looked at a few running back options that would be great in the mid to late rounds, but I don't think the Packers have to take any of them. As tantalizing as somebody like Daryl Henderson or Darrell Henderson, I have not been able to nail down how you say his name because I've seen and heard people say it both ways, even announcers in college games. If you took him out of Memphis, um, that would be good. We, I like him. Um, he's probably one of my favorite two or three running backs in this draft. But I think if there's anybody even remotely close to their ranking of Henderson at another position, and it comes down to those two, I think you take the other guy and try to find a different running back later. I'm not sure the Packers really need to spend big given what they already have at running back. And finally, I don't think the Packers should be taught, should be shy about taking another player at a position where things already seem well-stocked. And I'm thinking specifically here of both cornerback and wide receiver, but cornerback especially. Just because you've got some depth doesn't mean you can't get more. And just because you've got some talent there doesn't mean you couldn't add more. Depth is a fickle thing and can disappear pretty quickly. We've seen it the last two or three seasons, it seems like the Packers just lose their depth, like in a heartbeat, at so many positions because they just get injury after injury after injury. And it seems like their injuries always cluster. If the Packers have a cornerback they like, even in the second, third round, why not get them? You can always have more quality coverment, especially if you get an edge rusher early already. And if you can play a little bit of safety, maybe that's a good thing too. At wide receiver too, just because you've got a group that you like now doesn't mean you necessarily can't stand to add more. And it never hurts to diversify your lineup a little bit. I feel like I've harped on this pretty good in the draft prep process. The Packers seem to have pretty much all one body type at wide receiver right now, and that's fine, but it never hurts to, to diversify. You can attack teams in multiple ways. So that's my, that's my spiel. 
That's what I think about what the Packers should do in the draft. What can you expect from us then? While I've got you here just for a couple more minutes before we just try to wait out these last couple days before the draft. Well, here's what we're going to do. We are going to release a podcast on Friday morning, recapping everything that goes on on day one of the draft. Then we'll have another podcast on Monday, breaking down days two and three of the draft. And next Wednesday, we'll drop a final draft-related podcast or talent acquisition-related podcast as we talk about the undrafted free agents that the Packers have acquired. Why are we doing it this way? Well, in the past, we've tried to do like blog posts as things happen, stuff on social media as it happens, and there may be some of that in there, but it's not going to be our priority because I don't think covering it as it unfolds is something even the big media outlets do terribly well. Even if you take 20 minutes to think about something, you're already way behind everybody else. And chances are you're going to be missing out on a whole bunch of other things that go on in the draft too. I would rather take a little bit, think about it, and offer up a good, sensible take before or after everything is kind of settled down a little bit, then try to do something as it happens. I think thinking about things and trying to bring a little bit of perspective rather than just reacting as they happen brings more value to you and helps us do a better job. And finally, this is all about fun. And I think the most fun thing to do with a lot of the NFL is to enjoy it as a spectacle. There are a lot of dubious aspects to the NFL, even perhaps some morally questionable ones. So I think sometimes the best thing to do is to just sit back and kind of let it wash over you. Don't try to assign value to anything. Just let it happen. Let everything just be neat and interesting and try to extract meaning out of it out of it that way. Because if you try to focus on one individual thing as it happens, chances are you're going to miss so much else of what's going on. So we'll try to bring you that perspective tonight, well, Thursday night during the draft, and then Friday morning as you listen to this podcast and and do all that sort of stuff. This is going to be fun, and it's important to remember that it's supposed to be fun. So have a lot of fun with this. Enjoy what the Packers do. Try not to get bent out of shape at whoever they pick, unless they pick somebody completely weird somebody from some you know, directional school dentist academy in the first round. That would not be great. Of course not. But uh, other than that, just be excited about whoever they pick. It'll be a fun time and we'll have fun doing this together. Sound good? Good. That's all I've got for you on this episode. As one of my former coaching colleagues liked to say, the hay's in the barn. We're done. And I always just got to let it happen. And it's going to happen here in less than 48 hours. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate everybody who takes the time to download one of our episodes and listen in. If you liked what you've heard and want to help us keep things going, the best way to support us is by rating and reviewing on iTunes. It helps more people find the show, and we appreciate that. If you want to take your support to the next level, the best way to do that is to just donate a dollar per month at patreon.com slash the power sweep. The power sweep, not the power sleep. I could use a power sleep apparently right now. Uh, just a dollar per month is enough to help us offset our hosting costs for the podcast. And it goes a long way uh, towards supporting the rest of what we do here as well. And don't forget to check out the great t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi, reach us at thepowersweep.com or on social media 
or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Everybody who takes time to reach out, to ask a question, to do whatever helps us make this entire operation better and helps us make everybody else Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.